You're listening to the PR Wind Down Podcast, the podcast for public relations professionals that are ready to see real change in the PR industry. Here are your hosts, April White and Laura Schooler. Welcome back. Listen to the Trust Relations PR Wind Down, and I'm April White, the president and founder of Trust Relations. And I'm Laura Schooler. Our guest today is Abel Flint. He's the senior marketing pro with Suzy, the on-demand insights company, and he's here to discuss PR in the COVID era and also how do you shift your PR strategy when urgent things are going on and taking over the news. Um, And we also have more PR news, fails, and scary stories to share from our anonymous audience. Let's get ready to wind down. So I'd like to start today with the anonymous PR horror story. Oh, good. Those are always yeah? fun. They are fun. I know, I, maybe I should be saving. It's like eat, eating dessert first, but. <laughs> I do that all day long. So let's go. That's right. All right. Here we go. It was my first PR agency job, largely consumer based, something I didn't have much direct experience with yet at 25 years old. I pitched a story on the latest brands of top cross training sneakers as rated by a high end personal trainer in New York City. I got interest from a local TV news show. I believe it was Good Day New York. This was a long time ago when TV still ruled all, so I was ecstatic. We arranged for the TV crew and on-air reporter to meet at the private gym where the trainer works so they could interview him and talk about the sneakers he picked on site. Oh, he picked the sneakers on site, okay. Everyone is briefed and ready to go. I showed up early to the gym to meet with the trainer before the crew arrived to set up and make sure he had everything he needed, including his talking points. Great. The crew showed up, the reporter interviewed the trainer, and then asked about his top picks and if he could demonstrate them in action. Um, Except the trainer could not demonstrate them. Why? because he decided on his own the night before that all anyone really needed to see was one of each sneaker. He didn't bring any pairs to the gym. (laughs) So now instead of getting footage of someone wearing and working out in the sneakers, they had to shoot one of each doing nothing displayed on a bench. Right afterwards, the reporter called screaming at me. How could I let that happen? Why did I waste their time? I should have canceled the interview when I realized he only brought one of each sneaker. Now she's screwed and can't use a segment, et cetera, et cetera. The story sort of has a happy ending. Okay, thank God, because this is horrible so far. I convinced her to not trash the segment, but promised that we would messenger actual pairs of the sneakers to her so that they could shoot them in action at their studio and edit the video into a larger segment. And we did. And they re-edited the segment, phew, I was completely blindsided. And frankly, I've probably never been yelled at so badly by a reporter since then. So I guess it was a learning experience. I also stopped doing consumer PR shortly thereafter. (laughs) 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 I love it. So this poor person. This poor person. Thinking that they got this great TV segment and the interviewee decides to take it upon himself to like redo the segment like why would you like make that decision i I don't understand you're doing a segment on sneakers and you only bring one of each sneaker to the shoot it's so odd it's so odd and and for the trainer it would have been more pressed for him to be doing things on the sneakers so of course but so what he was like what went through his head that 
I guess he didn't want to have to, he wanted to bring a smaller bag, so he just wanted to put one, and I don't know. Wait, I wonder if this person asked, like, hey, so why'd you only bring one sneaker? Also, how far is your house, and how quickly can we get a messenger service there? I, um, I don't know. When you're, like, a young publicist and you have no idea, like, I don't, it sounds to me like the publicist didn't know that the reporter was pissed until after this bad segment was over. Ah, uh, so there wasn't the anticipation of, like, uh-oh, we're in trouble, we have to fix this now. Right. Aha, uh -huh, okay. Okay. That makes sense. So, yeah, the poor, the poor, poor, <laughs> poor. poor. <me. laughs> I mean, it is, it is funny. There is a very big difference between the consumer side of PR and the business corporate right. B2B side of PR. Right. Very, very big. When you're like in business PR, all usually the person has to do is bring themselves and their brain to an interview and talk about the deal or the the business trends or whatever. They don't actually have to bring product. So if you're not like right. versed in like product PR, you have no real idea like what goes into that. And as we've talked about before at PR agencies, nobody trains you how to do anything. They're just like, here's your client, go do it. And then you're by yourself and you're like, okay. And then you're like, oh my God, TV. And then it's completely trashed. And you don't know what to do on the fly because you don't even realize what angles or what paths you might have to fix it. Right. So I think it was not only, I think it was after the fact that the person was like, oh my God, what do I do? And probably maybe got like some input from a coworker on like how it could be salvaged. Well, thank God it was salvaged. Thank God it was salvaged. And thank God that this person got help. Um, you know, it's interesting because it's reminding me of, uh, I was just talking to somebody recently about how some people have a knack for consumer PR because you really have to, you have to make up stories. You have to yep. come up with stories all the time. The idea of relying on a hard news angle or a news peg or a news like a really hard edge, it's not a thing in consumer PR. You really have no. to be inventive and come up with these. So then we're going to have the sneaker in the gym with the trainer and he's going to do right. these squats and da da da, you know, and you have to imagine what that's going to look like right. as a story. Whereas with the business tech B2B side of things, it, it's a lot more of a so what's the company doing? What's your insight? There's, right. It's a more kind of linear thinking kind right. of PR. It's more black and white. And some people can do both and they're unusual, right? Because yeah. it does yeah. take this sort of this, you know, you can't be waiting for the client to tell you what the next thing is that they're doing, um, which is actually a good skill set to have if you can pull that from the consumer side of things into the other side, because you don't always have those hard news edges and you're waiting for the report, right. the story, the the research, the executive right. hire, the... Right. You're right. I feel like consumer PR people can't easily be business PR people and vice versa. At least that's... I've come across that. Like, it there's does, a different brain. It's like a right brain and a left brain thing. Right. It reminds me of being in the newsroom, too. And, and there were the news writers who wrote for the Metro and, you know, page one and the business writers. And then there were sort of the feature writers. Right. And the feature writers were always viewed by the people doing the news writing as not re doing real journalism. Right. It was always kind of snobby about it, right? It was, but it's not true. It's that it just no. requires a very, it's, 
it requires a very different skill set and mindset. And you can't be waiting for the client to deliver this nice, this nice thing with a bow on top that looks like news. Right. I agree. I agree. But, um, so I have spent, you know, most of my career in, in business, uh, government and then business financial type PR. Um, but you know, in working for myself and doing the sort of like, uh, entertainment PR and PR for individuals, I've had to get more creative than my business background. And then for the past two years as a consultant and doing work for clients, I have gained um, an appreciation for, and, and I think I've, I've learned a lot about the less hard business sort of PR over the past couple of years. I don't know that I would ever be, become a, a grand expert at consumer PR, but I now um, have an appreciation for it and see that the way to come at it is different than business also. There's different um, opportunities and vehicles and um, you know, the pay for play kind of thing that never happens in business PR. Right. That's called bribery in business. Right. Affiliate link pitching. What? Right. <laughs> it's like, I never even knew that it existed until recently. Yeah. Right. So this poor publicist going back, sounds like a lot of, you know, decades ago. I mean, just would have had no idea of like, seeing down the road or what could have happened. And even if she did or he, I wonder if he or she could have even stopped what happened. I mean, the interviewee chose to take it upon himself to not bring all of the apparatus to the interview without even talking to anybody about it. And it's the kind of thing also you wouldn't think to remind. Right. Bring all the sneakers, make sure there's shoelaces in them. I mean, why? He would just be like, Bring this, bring your top five pairs of sneakers. You wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't, right. Right. You wouldn't feel that you had to remind them to bring both of each. No. Bring the left and the right. No. That poor publicist. I hope that, <laughs> I hope that they went on to be, become great. And never think about that story, except for our show. <laughs> well, apparently they still remember, so. Yeah, well, you know, when you when you get screamed at by a reporter. Is that so Laura, have you ever been screamed at as that badly by a reporter? <laughs> Maybe once. <laughs> Maybe once. I'm trying to think if I've ever gotten that kind of a reaming. Um I don't think I have. That's pretty awful. I I reamed recently a a, a podcast producer out. You did? Yeah, they um they two times in a row canceled on my client five minutes after it was supposed to start. Like That's we were not- on the line and they can't, oh my God, sorry, the host can't do it today. So first time it was like, mm, okay. Showed, and we were like, I was like, are you sure that they're gonna reschedule? Cause I can't go through this again. I look terrible, whatever. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. So we rescheduled and the same thing happened again also five minutes after they were meant to be on air yes not ahead of time in the middle of it and canceled again and i wrote them an email i said this is the most unprofessional experience i've had possibly in my whole career it was with like a ceo of a company no yeah and then i never heard from them again 
What? They ghosted you? Never apologized. So, never tried to make up for screwing us twice. No. The never. interview never happened. Never it was happened. Done. That's it. Yep. yep. Are you still happy that you gave yes. the reporter such a hard time? Okay. Yeah, I am. The producer. Because, right. The producer, because it was, I feel like if it was something that was um, on the level, we wouldn't have been treated that way anyway. Okay. So it wasn't like, oh my God, we were going to go on Joe Rogan and, <laughs> and I, you know, screwed it. But I don't think that, that Joe Rogan's people would have treated us bad. We wouldn't have to have gone there. You know, it was a how, lower level podcast. So how do you get on the Joe Rogan podcast? That's what I, I don't know, know, man. I'm trying to get somebody on right now. Are you? Yeah. Like somebody who could arguably be on. Yeah. Cause you know, Joe Rogan does very long form interviews. Yeah. It's a much, right, and now he's getting higher and higher profile guests, so it's getting harder and harder. I know. He's also moving to Texas. Did you hear that? I did hear that. Like, this month. If he's not I know. already. I know. I think he moved already. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, so I don't know how, well, he had Rob Lowe on yesterday. I think he's still in L.A. Oh, I was like, okay. I was, that's all I've been doing for two days, is watching Rob Lowe on. You're just yeah. fanning yourself. I mean, come on. Who? <laughs> I want, who besides Rob Lowe on planet Earth still looks like Rob Lowe, what, 35 years later? He's the same guy. And he's just as good looking. It's not fair. It's, it's insane. I mean, and he must have had work. I mean, they all do, but you can't tell. Like, you can't tell how or where. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, he's the most beautiful man, like, every decade. <laughs> best looking man of the of the decade for four decades in a right. row right five decades now we're in 20 2020 so how did we get on the rob oh joe rogan how do you get on joe rogan so right when rob <laughs> Lowe's on I, I don't know but i've had a discussion with uh one of my sort of underground clients on how to get on there and we've kind of tried but but right so where are people going to go is he like in austin or where's he moving to are people like going to texas to do interviews with him I mean, I could see where it might be worth it since he's the biggest podcast on earth, but like, that's a pain in the ass. I mean, I know he doesn't only interview celebrities, but how many people live in Austin? I mean, he's a big enough deal now. It's like asking if somebody's going to fly to near for the Today Show. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, his, we were just talking about this, right? His, his viewership dwarfs the New York Times readership. Right. Dwarfs. Well, Laura, I hope that this individual, whoever it was, is in a much better place professionally and that this young person grew into a very seasoned professional. Speaking of young professionals, our next guest is Abel Flint, who's the senior marketing manager at Suzy. I'm very excited to have him on. He's going to have some great insights for us about how to navigate the brand world and PR world amid COVID and the elections and everything else that that can sway consumer attention and make sure that you're providing messaging that's on uh, that's on brand and also not tone deaf. All right, so our next guest on is Abel Flint. He's the senior marketing manager at Suzy and a colleague of Trust Relations. And he's here to discuss shifting your PR strategy when things like COVID happen or even the elections and there are things going on in the world that you need to be aware of and integrate into your strategy and your media outreach. Yeah, well, uh, first off, thank you so much, April, for having me on. Um, we're very excited to kind of be partnering with you, April, and you guys have done such a phenomenal job uh, for us on the PR front. So uh, excited to kind of have this conversation. Um, but to kind of give 
the 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 audio listeners uh, a little background about what Suzy is. Suzy is really a real time market research platform. So I know that's a lot of words, and it probably doesn't mean anything to most people. But the best way to think about it is whether you're a novice marketer, or you work in product development, or you're a more advanced market research. Um, Suzy really allows you to help make better, faster, kind of data driven decisions. Um, so we really combine both a advanced research tool with one of the highest quality audiences that are available in the marketplace. So what that really allows you to get is insights and really trusted insights um, within minutes. So Abel, are you currently working with other PR agencies that are clients of yours who are using the insights for PR reasons on behalf of their clients? Yeah, so we're working, uh, we work with both PR agencies, we work with creative advertising agencies, and you know, predominantly a lot of our uh, agency partners use us to do kind of rapid concept testing. So uh, let's say you're coming up with a new TV script, you're coming up with uh, new social content, you can really quickly uh, kind of segment out an audience and, and get a gut reaction uh, on that creative. So um, you know, we're working with some of the largest holding companies down to kind of smaller uh, agencies. And it really is the idea of before you put anything out in market, um, being able to kind of get feedback on that creative and, and make sure that really resonates with the people that are trying to um, tap into. So um, obviously kind of as, as things work in the world now, it's more important than ever to make sure um, that what you're putting out there isn't tone deaf and that uh, it, it really makes sense for kind of the audience that you're trying to reach out to. Right. And so in terms of being tone deaf on the, on the marketing, advertising, PR spectrum, can you give examples of what that might look like without necessarily, I, I know I'm putting on the spot, but without na naming anyone that you're getting in trouble, but just to give an idea of why is this a best practice and what are the pitfalls if you don't follow the best practice of on-demand insights? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, I'm not going to name any names because we work with so many of, of these clients, but I think you can see even the last uh, year or two, there have been companies who have put out um, large ad campaigns um, that have kind of dropped and, and immediately received a lot of backlash uh, against kind of consumers. So with a tool like Suzy, the idea is test it out with consumers at every stage of the process uh, and, and making sure that you kind of integrate that feedback into the entire uh, creative development cycle. So, you know, I, I actually came from a creative agency in, in my past life. And so many times we had the saying of the, the concept or the idea that was presented to clients uh, was actually made by the hippo, which is kind of the highest paid person in the room. So that might be your executive creative director. That might be your partner of an agency. Uh, and instead with a platform like Suzy, you can go into a meeting and say, hey, we ran this concept. And, and it really turns out that creative concept A uh, is the one that resonates the most. Uh, and it really just ensures that at all points, you are kind of integrating that, that consumer feedback um, into the entire process. Yeah, that's great. And it, right now, I mean, it's especially relevant, right? As things are changing rapidly and the consumer sentiments are changing around all kinds of things from COVID related topics to Black Lives Matters and I mean, everything in between, right? So there's a lot of, a lot of fast moving targets that you, I mean, and I'd like you to speak about this. I'm, I'm saying it like I'm the expert, but I would like you to, to hear in your words, you know, a little bit more about what that looks like and how do you leverage those insights to make sure that as things are shifting daily, hourly, weekly, monthly, that you're not putting out things that are tone deaf. Yeah, definitely. So 
Um, you know, I think at the beginning of, and this kind of goes a little bit into how we approach marketing and a little bit of PR as well, but um, really at the beginning of COVID-19, um, you know, our CEO, Matt Britton, who is really a advertising legend, he uh, founder of MRY and uh, really truly an, an advertising vet kind of decided that what we needed to do right was provide, uh, use our, our, our platform really to provide value to our uh, consumers in the form of kind of on-demand insights. So because of the fact that our platform really allows you to constantly keep a pulse on consumers, we were able to really tap into that platform and track sentiment on how are people approaching grocery shopping. So, um, you know, during the beginning of the pandemic, we were seeing people were a little scared to go to the grocery store. Um, they weren't really sure how things were being cleaned. And, um, you know, we've been tracking those types of things over time and really doing some interesting studies on um, really where consumer trends are going and, and kind of what the future might look like in a post-COVID-19 world. Do you have any case studies you could share about how people have gotten insights that are really current and then immediately turned around and used them? I know you might have to be careful about naming names again, but can you give any specific examples? Yeah, so we work with a lot of different um, category management and shopper insights teams who are really at the forefront um, trying to understand how consumers are approaching grocery shopping, uh, what they're buying at the stores, um, kind of what that journey looks like. Um, so a lot of times people have used the, the resources and insights from the Suzy platform to really help to guide that. So um, should we be putting more investment into online shopping um, platforms? Should we be um, focusing on how we're bundling certain products for COVID-19? Um, so, you know, we've seen a lot of, a lot of things that are kind of uh, in that world of consumer packaged goods and food and beverage companies. Got it. On the PR side, I'm wondering if you have any insights of how people could make sure that their stories either use relevant stats to get through a relevant pitch and or to make sure that the pitches are, are really catered to what's going on with consumer sentiment around different topics. When we think a lot about PR, we want to create content um, that actually adds value for people, right? So I think a lot of times people have this idea of, oh, PR, let me just try and get my company out there and just blast it all over. But at the end of the day, that's not actually interesting news. That's not what people want to read about. Um, so I think the way that we kind of have been thinking about it is how do we take the stats that we're creating? How do we take all this knowledge and insights uh, that we're running um, you know, every day uh, and try and get it out into media? Uh, and really using kind of partners like April to, to help us make sure that people have the insights that they need really all the time. I have a question. So if um, some of your clients are PR firms, I mean, a lot of times in PR firms, a little bit different than advertising, because I think advertising is able to plan ahead a little bit more and, and it's a little of a slower of a process. Where PR, you might be like, oh my God, we got to try to get media coverage for our client, you know, tomorrow. Is there any like fast way to get like, you know, information from you guys that is usable, like on the spot in a day? Of course. So that is that is, what you're talking about is the, the essence of what Suzy is, right? Um, so because of the fact that Suzy, we have our own proprietary panel. So on any given month, you have about 60 to 70,000 U.S. consumers who are going in uh, and kind of answering questions. Um, because of that, we have one of the uh, fastest speeds. Uh, and highest quality audiences that is available. So let's say you had a question right now uh, for a client and you want to understand the shifting trends in you know, retail, or you wanna understand how are people, what are people buying to go to the beach right now? 
um, you can really quickly go onto the platform, ask that question. And if you're just targeting kind of US general consumer population, you can get up to 500 responses uh, in as quick as 30 to 45 minutes. So you're not waiting days, weeks, months to get these responses. You're getting that today and giving yourself kind of the ammo uh, and the data points to go into that pitch. Wow, I think that's um, interesting and a differentiator probably. Yeah, and I think like even thinking about how we work with April, um, you know, we have uh, reporters who come to us and say, hey, I'm working on a story right now talking about what the shift in transportation is going to look like. Right. Um, so very quickly, we can go onto the platform, segment out an audience of city dwellers and kind of ask them, all right, um, what are your thoughts on micromobility? Um, what are your concerns with public transportation? Uh, and really give those stats to a reporter so he can say, oh, you know, I ran the study 24 hours ago and this is what people are thinking right now. Smart. So Abel, if, me, if members of the media or other agencies hear this and they want to contact you or contact us to get information for a story they're working on, is that something that they just they can basically contact us and we'll handle it? Yeah, so I think um, we have uh, someone within our company that specializes in uh, creative PR agencies who kind of is a specialist in terms of the case studies for that. Um, so if they can reach out to me or they can reach out to April and we'll get you in touch. Uh, I think for media, April is your go-to and she'll, she'll help make sure that you get the stats that you need for your next article for sure. Definitely. Yep. Awesome. Okay. So, and the, just for our listeners, our contact information will be in the details below the podcast. So if you want to reach out to us and get some stats for a story, please do. And, um, and obviously this is really, really relevant. I, I know um, when COVID first happened, it was the first time in my entire career and Laura's been in, in business a little bit longer than I have even, but I think she'd probably say the same. I can let her speak for herself, but it was fascinating that there were weeks and weeks and weeks where you couldn't pitch anything to the media that didn't have a direct COVID tie. And the more direct, the more relevant, but the less direct, the, the more likely you were to really sound tone deaf. And it was very difficult because there were still clients who want, wanted coverage for pet products and, you know, fill in the blanks. And how do you then shift so that you're providing stories that are still relevant in the COVID era. And so I think, I think it's, I think PR pros understand the need for this in a way that we probably didn't before. And then the same thing happened, you know, when Black Lives Matter was happening and there were protests and riots and things. And it was like, don't you dare pitch the media unless it's a trade publication that's not going to be impacted right. or a blog that's like really, really niche and not going to be impacted or in some cases, consumer media could still be pitched, but it was very delicate. I mean, you had to be very, very careful to not just to send out those pitches. Cause I, I know there were even stories where people were sending out tone deaf pitches and getting reamed for it or getting raked over the coals on social media. So yeah. I think people and PR that might not have under, understood previously right. why this kind of research is important and this kind of staying on top of the pulse of where the culture is, is really, really important. And I think it's going to continue be, to be, you know, leading up to the election and, you know, we'll see, we'll see after that what happens, but. Yeah. And I think actually like that's, it's not just a PR thing, but I think that really touches all on marketing in general. Right. So I think at the beginning of COVID-19, we made it a, a priority from our team that um, this is not the time that we should be in everyone's face saying, Hey, like buy our product. You need this, like, you know, sell, 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 because that's not the human reaction to 
um, this situation. Like what people need right now uh, and what people needed throughout this entire time was insights. They needed to understand how consumers were shifting. They needed to understand the data trends. Uh, and I think like we made a priority from a marketing perspective to kind of give those those insights to people for free. So we kind of started creating this state of the consumer series uh, about every other week where our CEO is talking about the latest shifts in consumers. We kind of dive into different topics, whether that is, um, you know, the future of grocery shopping, um, kind of shifts in advertising, social media, uh, and really giving this as a service to people. And I think that that really is something that's so true for all, you know, B2B, advertising, PR, like in times of difficulty and uncertainty, you, you, you can't sell to people. You need to give mm-hmm. them something that they need and, and build that long relationship with them. Uh, and maybe that converts sometime down the future, but you know, that goodwill is kind of what's important, kind of why we're all here at the end of the day. That's right. What kind of feedback have you gotten from that series, Abel? In general, we've seen that a lot of people really value them because I think people, they're unsure about how the market's going to shift. They're unsure about how consumers uh, are going to quickly move. And for a lot of companies who don't have the budgets necessarily to do large research, um, you know, we're, we're coming in as a resource for them uh, and we're helping them navigate these really uncertain times. And I think like as a market research company and even as an employee of a market research company, um, it makes me feel really proud that we are really adding value to people's lives and we're giving them data um, that can help them make hopefully a, a better, more informed decision. Yeah, I agree. That's really nice you're doing that. Have you gotten clients from it? I know that's not exactly the point, but I'm just curious if it's had an added benefit of leading more people to the Suzy platform. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, when you put out content that is relevant to people and adds value to them, then hopefully at the end of the day, it, it will it will help a sales goal, right? Um, and I think like we've seen throughout the pandemic that that's been really helpful for us. Um, but I think first, first and foremost, it is how do we add value? And I think when you let that be your driving mission and when you let that passion really um, be your guiding force, it, it's how you build those relationships that are necessary down the road. Agreed. Abel, you're, you're a great spokesperson. Have you been media trained? <laughs> no, I have not been media trained. <laughs> I did. I mean, you're yeah, on we, message. We should have put him on TV today. <laughs> We had a we had an urgent TV opportunity and it was like juggling fire to try to figure out who to get on in time. Yeah, I would. I literally would. So it should have been you. All right. Well, for future reference. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a he's got a big role at Susie too. I'm I've been very impressed. I don't know how old you are, Abel, but I you can't be a day over thirty. So I've been very impressed how much you're how much you're able to run with. I mean, do you, you even want to guess how old I am? <laughs> I mean, I think you're probably 27. Yeah, I'm exactly 27. <laughs> ah, good guess. <laughs> I'm so excited. You know, sometimes as you get older, it's harder and harder to gauge people's age because you think everybody is closer to your age. Right. But Because you still think you're 27? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you're like, so he must be 18, right? Right. Because I look look 27. Or you're like, oh, well, (laughs) since I'm in my 40s, he's probably 40 also. And it's like, no. (laughs) I I had a conversation. My dad, he just turned uh, 61 years old. uh, And I had a conversation with him. And I was like, I was like, oh, like, every day I feel like I am a freshman in college. Like, you you see all these articles of kids going back to school and you're like, wow, like, I, I feel like that. You truly do feel like that. And I asked my dad that I was like, dad, like, 
do you feel like you're 62 years old, 61 years old? And he's like, I don't feel a day over like 16. He's like, I still feel like I am that kid in my room playing guitar, like pretending that I was going to be a rock star. And I was like, I feel the same way. And I, and I, and he's like, that feeling never goes away. And like, as long as you can kind of carry that child's play within you, um, that's kind of what's important. Never, never lose sight of that. Cause that's what keeps you young. It keeps you strong. It keeps your mind constantly, you know, moving. It's you know what my, what my dad who was sure, you know, he was never going to uh, die. He'll live forever. What I think finally got to him that he realizes that he's old and he's 83 is in the past, like I would say three to five years it started when he, he's been drinking basically the same drink his whole, you know, drinking life. <laughs> Doers and water, and nobody knows what the hell it is anymore. Like, no bartender, you know, because most people in bars, bartenders are in their 20s. They're always like, Doers? They, Doers, they, Doers and water. Doers and water. So, like, a lot of times they'll show up with, like, Doers and water, like, in two different glasses. Or they'll be like, what, do, what's, what, it, what? I guess or it kind of makes ice, sense, right? or, yeah. It's kind, of like a, it's kind of like a play on the idea of like scotch on the rocks, but with melted ice instead. And right, but like just in the past three to five years, nobody knows what it is, and he's like, "Oh my god!" And that's why he feels old. <laughs> <laughs> what a funny barometer. Yes. <laughs> Abel, what questions do you have for us? I know we've kind of put you on the hot spot, so or a hot spot, hot seat. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I guess you guys work with kind of brands across uh, the spectrum, not just in, in, in software. So I'm curious, what have you guys seen um, as clients that have really successfully kind of navigated these really uncertain times? So I would say one of our most successful has been RestoraPet. And it's partly because the CEO, Brian Larson, is very... Um, he really respects our counsel and he's, he's very smart. And so he was able to work with us and say, Hey, listen, we're not going to get any straight product placements. Nobody's going to be covering the company, but if we can pivot and make you an expert in pet care, we can come up with all kinds of tips. So for example, one of the first things we did was what do you do if you're quarantined and you're with your pet and how do you exercise them? If you're not able to take them to the dog park or take them on as many walks or Th those kinds of things. So we had all these tips of, okay, here's how to keep them mentally stimulated and mm. that kind of thing. So I think that there were a series of things like that, where we just kept saying tips from Restorapet. And again, it goes back to the point you were making, Abel, about providing information that's relevant and, and, and useful. So we were coming up with tips that were something people needed, right? People needed to know what to do with their animals if they weren't able to go out. They all so it was a time where everybody was really worried about, oh my gosh, what if I get COVID from my animal or what if I give it to my animal? Because there were some stories of pets that were dying in China that allegedly had COVID. And so there was this hysteria about, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And so we, we did some of that. And then we even, um, he, he was smart enough to pivot his company to having a hand sanitizer because he had the facilities available. Wow. And so he was one of the first to say, great, I have the facilities. I can keep making Restore Pet, this, which is a pet supplement. I can also make this hand sanitizer and start sell selling that. But he also, um, he used to be a nursing home director 
And so he started giving out to people, he's in the DC area. So he started giving out to the nursing homes in the area, free hand sanitizer as a, just a charitable act. So he was a, you know, he's a good dude that was smart and he was able to, he was able to pivot cause he's a small enough company and right. you know, he, he made it work. So we were able to continue getting coverage for him through that time, which, which was very tricky. I mean, I, <laughs> not an, you know, how do you get a, a super anti-accident pet supplement in the news during COVID? So I, I, I think that's probably my, my favorite example. I don't know if Laura has one she wants to share as well. Um, my favorite example um, of a success story during this time is me. <laughs> do do tell well no i and it's also and i think april can attest to it similarly i feel like i have gotten more people coming to me for um like consulting senior guidance because um uh because as an independent um person and as a virtual company like april's we're able to address things on a dime quickly we're in touch with a lot of people we're we're the contacts and there isn't a lot of overhead and there's not a whole lot of discussion nobody right. has to commute to work it's we're here we're doing it we're now we really can't go anywhere else but you know stay home and work so i've been getting a lot more um uh inquiries that way and clients that way than i had before the covid crisis right. when people were still kind of doing things the old way so I feel like we were set up to do things the new way. And so then companies like perhaps like yours and other that are smaller and just need somebody to come in quick and get on something and do it now and do it now. And not a lot of discussion and not a lot of resources and um, leaving it to us to sort of counsel them and bring the right people in was, uh, it was just kind of a perfect timing, unfortunately, but, but I'm glad that I was here to be able to help people with that. Right. I think it's interesting. Like, I think obviously within smaller companies, it's a little bit easier to kind of pivot uh, during COVID. But what's also been kind of fascinating for me is how some of the largest CPG and food and beverage companies, how much they were able to kind of pivot their businesses to really help provide value to consumers. So whether that was in a form of entertainment, whether that's in the form of providing um, kind of stats on how they should be navigating cleaning up or how they should be um, navigating grocery shopping, it's, it's been really interesting to see how kind of brands have kind of started to step in a little bit um, and start to provide people with some really important information during this time. So, it's, and also, I was impressed with how quickly uh, big companies put TV commercials out that address, you know, they stopped running their old commercials and got new ones on on air quickly. Yeah. So, Abel, here's one for you. This is this might be too hard to answer. If it is, we can totally edit this out. But we were just talking about what's going to happen if this TikTok ban goes through how are advertisers, and this is more your expertise than ours, but how are those advertisers going to shift? Where are they gonna go? What are their options? What do they do if they're currently already locked in with some kind of a ad campaign with TikTok? So I, I won't even pretend that I'm, this is an original thought, but uh, I, I read an article <laughs> either today in the Times or in Adweek or something like that, that was saying that a lot of advertisers still view TikTok as an experiment uh, and a lot of them have not done full-fledged ad buys with them. So I think for a lot of them, it's not like they, it's not like this is like Facebook or, or their Google spend right now. So right. I think it's a small fraction for them. And, and I imagine that for a lot of them, 
um, they're willing to kind of take a chance right now and, and see what happens. Um, TikTok obviously has one of the best engagement rates you can get right now. It's one of the best ways uh, that you can reach a Gen Z audience. So I think they know that there is a ton of value there. Uh, and I think they're willing to, to roll the dice a little bit uh, and see what happens. That makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, I, I'm, uh, I don't want to keep you because I know you're very busy, but do you have anything else that you'd like to share with us or any other pressing questions, thoughts, ideas, inspirations? No, I think, you know, obviously this is a really difficult time for everyone right now. So uh, if you're listening and you're a brand or you're a company that's kind of in need for insights or data about your consumers, um, you know, feel free to reach out to April and I, and, you know, we can kind of dig through our library to see uh, what we have that's kind of relevant to the the different challenges that you might be experiencing. But, you know, we're, we're here uh, to help. And that's kind of why I'm so proud to work at this company and so driven to kind of, you know, share our story with you all. All right. Well, thank you so much, Abel. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Uh, great to kind of chat with you both. Likewise. You. We'll talk to you soon. So Abel was really great. Um, and I wasn't, and I really, I wasn't being, um, you know, my sarcastic self when I asked him if he had media training, it really sounds like oh, he's, he's fantastic. like a, a spokesperson and it's such a young age. My gosh. No. And you cannot believe the amount that this guy is managing. I don't know how he's doing it. See an example of a millennial is, or is even Gen Z doing it. Everybody, you know, wants to put those generations down, but I have uh, worked with many an effective young person they move faster and think faster mm -hmm. it's just it's just a fact i like to fancy myself a uh millennial before ahead of my time sometimes i think i've talked about that before i i, I like to pretend that i'm like elijah schlesinger i'm an elder millennial <laughs> <laughs> i once had a, a guy at home depot who said don't i know you i said i don't think so he said aren't you you're the comedian girl i said what he said, yeah, you're, oh, never mind. And I said, who do you think I was? He said, I thought you were Eliza Schlesinger. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yes. That's good. I mean, of all the people to be confused with, yeah. I'll, I'll take it. Sometimes people confuse me for um, Angelina Jolie. Just kidding. Um, so, <laughs> but interestingly, so it's something that came up when I was young. And it's uh, a topic that is prevalent today, but I don't think people really think about it or talk about it. When you are um, a big company, or if you're a person who's working with or for a startup or a very small company, sometimes small companies and big companies work together, um, you know, at a vendor relationship or some sort of partnership relationship. And so always the smaller company or the startup wants to get PR on the back of the big known company. And most of the time, the big company doesn't care and doesn't want to do PR with the small company or the startup company because they have nothing to gain really from it. And they don't want to spend their time doing that when they have way bigger things to do. Once in a while, you can get it to happen. But my um, experience and advice to the people who are working in the small companies is you really have to find out about the branding and the rules of the road for the big company. Because if you go out there and do something without their approval, 
you will catch holy hell and you could ruin whatever deal has been made between your two companies. That's the worst case. The other bad scenario is that you, you know, get your PR firm or you work for the PR firm and you create this whole strategy and you put this whole thing together and then you do finally present it to the bigger company and they're just like, ah, and they like ax the whole thing after you've like had five people spend a week and a half putting something together. You really need to allow the big company to um, lead the way, unfortunately. And the unfortunate thing for the small company is there's so many stumbling blocks, there's so many rules, and it's a slow moving, like, you know, Titanic type ship, but you have to do it. And I've seen it go badly many, many times because the small company wants to be like, you know, the scrappy puppy. Can you give any examples without getting in trouble? Well, I mean, like I had a friend, this isn't really PR wise, but I had a friend who worked at a dot-com company, you know, back when there was just dot-com companies. And um, I don't have to mention the name of it, but they would work with very big brands and he was responsible for putting together um, like, you know, partnership ads. And he learned very quickly, like working with the gap, for example, like, the word, the gap next to whatever their little like square logo has to be a certain ratio, has to be certain colors, has to be a certain placement on an ad, like, you know, the bottom right corner, it can't be in the top middle or whatever. And like, literally, I think he had to scrap and redo, you know, 48 hours of work that he had done because he, the, uh, he placed it in the wrong place or used the wrong colors. I mean, brands like that, have such meticulous rules for how they are presented visually and in every other way. So, I mean, it was just basically a massive waste of everybody's money and time. There's other more recent uh, examples that I can't get into, but like where, <laughs> where companies almost lost business or really put their, their right. reputation on the line because they just like ran out and did something without really getting the full buy-in of the the bigger, more powerful entity. Right, right. But I don't think people think about this. I don't just remind either. It just reminded me, because now that I've been working with more uh, smaller companies and startup companies after coming from the big brands where anytime a vendor said, can we do PR? We just say no. And then right, that would be the been, end of it. You've been on both sides yeah. of it as the big company in-house and now representing yes. the, the scrappy startups. So it's come up a few times in the past couple of years. So I wanted to bring it up because I really think it will help people who work for smaller companies and startups to put the right foot forward and save everybody a lot of time, money, and heartache and not get right, yelled you at. Don't, right, because you don't want to be the PR friend that messes up some big behind-the-scenes deal that the business has going. Yeah, and you can look like a hero when like the firm you work for is like, oh, let's do this. And you'll have to say, wait a second. Let's go to them and ask them what their rule books are and what the parameters are. And then you could be a hero because then people will say, oh my God, you saved us so much aggravation by knowing to ask those questions. Right. So, um, Good it's for not you. I'm, yeah, it's not because I'm a genius. It's because I'm old and I've been doing this for a long time <laughs> on both sides. That's what I keep telling people. It's really interesting how, you know, uh, whatever, uh, experience, intuition, maybe a little bit of, you know, intelligence mixed together is probably the best reason for being older in this business because you really can bring amazing value that saves so much aggravation and heartache and time and money. It's true. And when you're 23 years old, you don't know. You don't know what question to ask. It's the same with client management. I find that the older you are, the more you 
can see the pitfalls before they happen and you can read the tea leaves and know that the, the client's about to be angry because they don't have XYZ from you. Yeah. And when you're younger, you just don't see these things happen. And so yeah. you, if you don't have somebody, in my experience, if you don't have somebody seasoned leading the account to watch out for these things, Mm -hmm. then you can get into a lot of trouble and lose clients and have a, a, a lot of turnover and a lot of frustrated young people that are getting yelled at by clients and they don't think that they just think the clients mean. Right. But if somebody senior was on the account, they would have seen it coming and, and could have prevented the whole blow up. Like that poor person, the, that we, with the sneaker story, if it was a more senior person, that person probably would have seen the guy only brought one of each and would have stopped it before it even, and said, whoa, we only have one of each, we're sorry, like. Or sent a messenger immediately to his yes, apartment to go right. get the other sneaker. But like a young person who's ever done it before is like, oh, I, I, I don't even know that this is good or bad. But a senior right. person would have been like, oh, this like, is gonna go bad. He only brought one of each, I don't know. Right, is, is that okay? <laughs> right. right. And somebody right older would say, "Oh, this is a disaster." I could, you can see the disaster coming. You can right. see it coming. That's right. Yeah. You can kind of see the train wrecks before they happen. Yep. So, did you hear about Biden and his comment about the Latino community being diverse, unlike the African American community? Yeah. Ugh. Worst PR move ever. I mean, talk about like, okay, boomer. I mean, it's just, he, I, he, he just doesn't get it. He's, I guess. And it's, I mean, he's an old guy. He doesn't get it. And I don't think his people are preparing him well, but I think, I don't know if anybody could have stopped that train. I mean, the, the worst part about it, in addition, which I don't know if there's a worst part, how do you say that? But no, there's... that he said it is the worst part. Yes. In addition to that, part B of the worst part is that he's supposed to be standing for the people that are not voting for Trump because they think he says things like this. But now he's saying something that if Trump said, the White House oh would God. get, like they'd burn down the White House, right? So how do you now, I mean, what do you do, right? How do you say, oh, this person, and obviously, there, there's, it's, it's complicated, as my, as my niece would say. I, I once uh, had my niece getting, um, she was explained the, a whole entire thing about Cuba, and uh, at the end of it, she said, "So it's complicated." <laughs> so anyway, so it's, was it's Biden so, right? So Biden, that was a, a bad thing to say, but is he trying to say that in this country, um, African Americans are from Africa and Hispanics? can be from Mexico, Cuba, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, you know, Central America, South America. I mean, is that where his head was at? That's, I think, I mean, that's what we can imagine. That's the best we can imagine. I mean, the problem is that the, there is um, a lot of overlap between the Latino and the African-American community. And there are also um, people from Africa who are here. There's also like Haitians who are here. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I mean, not to mention that, I mean, I, we're using black now from the best of my understanding because not all black Americans identify as being African-American. Well, that's what I'm saying. Right. So like you've had like, like, Dominican, <laughs> like the Dominican Republic, I mean, basically they're like Hispanic black people, like then there's also white Dominicans. And then there's just like any other, like, 
group of people from, you know, white people, the mutt that I am, you know, like nobody is the same. And so the fact that he was giving a broad brush uh, uh, over black people is, um, and like, again, I don't know if that's really what he thinks or he just doesn't speak very well, I think, as we know. What do you think? Like, does, did you uh, get a sense for like really where his head was at or is he just I mean, not even know where, where he is anymore? <laughs> it seems more like the latter only because of his, also his response to somebody asking him if he, he had gotten the mental test. Did you hear about this? What did he say? It was something incoherent. So somebody yeah. said, I mean, and I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was essentially like, if you're doing an SNL skit and you ask somebody, you know, and you're doing a parody, right? And you wanted somebody to answer this question, are you mentally fit for the job? And then they answer with something that was completely incoherent and jibber jabber. Why, why would he just say yes? I mean, on a PR front, my guess is that if you say yes, then you're implying that there's an issue. So it's a what little bit- What if somebody bit... says, are you coherent? Oh, no, no, they asked him if he was gonna get a mental test. Oh, that was the question? Not if yeah, he that, was coherent. That's one of, that's one of those uh, questions like, have you stopped beating your wife, right? Um, yeah, you can't, I mean- You can't it's, say uh, yes, you can't uh, say no. Yes, I have. Oh, so you were before. No, I haven't. Oh, you're still beating her. <laughs> right. Yeah, you yeah. can't, you, I mean, if you say yes, then you're, you're implying that maybe there's an issue that needs to be looked at. Right. So, I mean, it was a tricky And if you question. say no, then you're like denying, you know, you're not, you refuse to do what Trump did already. But anyway, back to, I mean, so I don't know. I, I mean, maybe all of this is showing that um, there should be, you know, how there's, a, I think, what do you have to be, um, 40? Is there an age floor? Maybe there should be an age ceiling on being the president. <laughs> yeah, but then you have all the issues that we've talked about of of not having the wisdom to foresee pitfalls. I mean, I'm not that. I'm, that's not a commentary in me thinking that either candidate. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not advocating for. Uh, I'm not advocating for it really. I don't know. I'm just saying it as a point of discussion because, right, wisdom. But is there a point where? you um, are so far removed from the generations, the bigger generations, the more influential generations that you can't even really address their needs. It's where he needs uh, maybe to talk to Susie. He needs to talk to Susie, that's right. Biden, Biden needs, to, needs to use the Susie platform. I think that's, I think that's the best conclusion. We just, we just solved his, his problem. We did. Perhaps. That's all he needs. That would do it. I keep wanting to sing that song, um, wake up little Susie, wake, wake up. up. That's me singing. <laughs> I've never sang on microphone before. So. <laughs> it can't be taken back now. No, that was my, uh, what do you call it? Karaoke. I won't go. I won't do it. You won't do karaoke? No. Oh, God. Come never. on. Karaoke is the best. I will never. I hate it. I will never do it, and I won't go to it. The only time I ever went to it was when a guy I knew did live, uh, like, punk rock karaoke at um, a club, and it was kind of funny to see people go up there and, like, sing with an actual band. But I would never do it. Really? Never. I mean, those are fighting words towards karaoke. 
Yeah, no, I really can't stand Karaoke's it. Karaoke's the best. Yeah, no, not for me. <laughs> I don't want to hear you sing it. I don't want you to hear me sing it. Like, I don't want it. No. No, I'm just a terrible singer. It's just not worth it. Okay. Well, I will not force you to do that, and I will not let it be the end of our friendship. That's all right. Well, I think we're, I think we're ready to wrap it up. All right. Thanks so much for joining us for the PR Wind Down. And many thanks to Abel for uh, the awesome conversation. And don't forget that you can share your anonymous horror stories with us anytime at the email address in the episode description. Um, and it doesn't even have to be a horror story. I will accept a amazing PR story too. Why not? Okay. I like that. Let's do that. PR wins. We can't wait to wind down with you again soon. <laughs>